Let us turn together in God's Word, congregation, to Matthew chapter 26. We read the verses 1 through 13. This passage of Scripture we read in support of our text, which we'll find in John chapter 12, verse 1 to 8. But first to uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 13. God's holy word. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. But then the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring out this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And then to John's account of these same events, John chapter 12, uh, the first eight verses, we read together as our text for the sermon. John chapter 12, reading at verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, Why this fragrant oil, Uh, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. These words of Holy Scripture to our hearts and minds this morning. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the final week of Jesus' ministry on earth was, had come to pass at this point in, our, in the Gospels, the great work that he was called to do, and that great work of his passion he was about to begin as these events unfold in, in the chapters we've read. We would say, indeed, it was a triumph of God's providence and of His grace, having brought Jesus thus far 
through many difficult times, through a lot of hostility from the Jews, Jesus had persevered to this final time, and now his glory would be revealed with his death and resurrection. He'd come thus far, he'd come back into Judea to show himself to be Israel's great king and savior, the Messiah, truly. The Jews had tried so often to destroy him. You know how these events happened, and every time we read, but his hour had not yet come, and they couldn't touch Jesus because his time had not yet come. But now it was almost at hand. His time now indeed was almost here. The cross was looming straight ahead of him. His suffering unto death for the salvation of the world was about to begin. The evening before the uh, time of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus was happy to spend and to enjoy the warm hospitality of very close friends of Mary and Martha and of Lazarus together with the twelve disciples. We read that they came to the house of Bethany or into Bethany to the house of Simon the leper. This was about three kilometers southeast of Jerusalem. It was Simon's house. He wasn't present on this occasion. And so, as verse 2 indicates, uh, Martha took charge of the festivities and served as a host uh, to provide the supper meal for the Lord and for his disciples. Martha here, too, showed her sincere love for the Lord Jesus Christ by the good work that she was doing. However, Mary's love is the issue here uh, this morning and in this text. And yet we ought not to lose sight of Martha's love for her Lord as well. Nevertheless, congregation, our theme this morning, Mary lavishes all her love on the Lord Jesus. And we see that, that she does that by anointing Jesus with very costly ointment. We read in our text in chapter 12, verse 1 of John, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with, with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Uh, Matthew informs us that it was a, an alabaster flask, a very costly, fragrant oil. John, too, describes it as very costly oil of spikenard. This very special perfume had to have been imported from India. It had a very delightful fragrance, and it was very, very expensive. Judas tells us that it was worth approximately 300 denarii. That was almost a year wages for a working man. This perfume, about a pound worth, about a liter's worth, was very, very expensive. We would ask the question, what in the world made Mary uh, do such an extravagant thing? And some people say that Mary was a very wealthy woman. Maybe she was, we really don't know. Other commentators suggest that she had all her life savings stored up for this occasion to purchase this very costly fragrant oil for this occasion. And perhaps it seems the latter is probably uh, more to, uh, to, to, to the situation. And yet we might wonder why she did this. 
Well, we can't help but assume that it was in part because of her very great love for the Lord Jesus Christ. She must have been moved by the Holy Spirit to do this thing, but it could not have been without a heart full of faith and full of love and devotion to Jesus, her Lord. It was a priceless act of devotion and honor that she paid to Jesus. Jesus was a dear friend of hers, to be sure, but he was much more. He was also her Lord, and she knew he was about to die for her as well, to be killed in fact, Mary was one of those women who we read of that she used to sit at the feet of Jesus. She couldn't get enough of his teaching. She wanted to be near to him, to hear the words of God directly from his lips, to be taught, to be edified, and so on. We know that she owed her very life to the Lord Jesus Christ. She also owed the life of Lazarus, her brother, to Jesus as well. Jesus had just finished raising Lazarus from the dead. And so in every respect, Jesus was her Lord. She was, he was her God. And she knew him to be the hope and the, and, and the king of Israel. And thus she, she broke this flask of alabaster containing this pound of precious ointment and she poured it, uh, Matthew says, on Jesus' head. And yet there was enough of that in this flask when it broke open to also pour this oil, as John says, upon Jesus' feet as well. The idea we have here is that she anointed his whole body from head to toe. She anointed Jesus with this very precious ointment. And there is, of course, a lot left over on his feet. And so she stooped down and took her hair and wiped the oil off her feet, her hair she used like a towel to wipe dry the precious costly ointment that was left on his feet. This was a most unusual and an extravagant thing for her to do. She offered her hair as a towel for his feet. How could she really have done so unless she was motivated by genuine love? and devotion, and, and care for the Lord Jesus Christ. What she was doing, she, however, did not consider too costly in view of the fact of what her Lord Jesus Christ was going to do for her. That, too, was going to be something beyond price, something you really couldn't put a price tag on, what Jesus was going to do for her. And so what she did for him was but small in comparison. Does not what the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what he has done for us, isn't that something beyond price as well? How could we put a price tag on his bloodshed for us? Does that have as great a value for you as well? Something that is beyond price, even worth eternity. Now, congregation, the Lord did not have this recorded in Scripture to simply teach us that now we have to do something just like Mary did, as if somehow that might be possible, as if what Mary did was simply an ordinary thing, an ordinary act of love and service for us to follow. We would say not. Rather, this was the most extraordinary thing that she did, something very unusual and an extreme act of devotion that she paid to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And interestingly, Jesus gratefully accepted this, this act of devotion to, to, to him. And he knew it was a very unique purpose. We will see in that in our second point. But for now, simply to say that as Jesus' death was a one-time act for, for our salvation, so was being anointed with his very costly ointment. It was also a one-time act. It did not need to be repeated again and again. Yet it was recorded for us to know that, in fact, it did happen. And it was recorded also for, for the very fact that when this gospel is preached in all the world, what this woman did might be told as a memorial to her. We read in Matthew 26, 13. That is to say, we remember Mary here for what she did. For what she did to the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps telling us something to the effect, we too ought to be known for things that we do for Jesus Christ in terms of our faith and our service and our devotion. What might it be said of that people know this is what you do for the Lord or this is what you do for his church what Mary did was to be written down in memory of what she did for the Lord Jesus Christ a very costly act of devotion and preparation for his death and burial congregation since Jesus Christ also laid down his life for you is your love for him also very great as well? Very great. What do you sacrifice to the Lord? Perhaps you do not have to sacrifice a whole year's worth of wages, so to speak, but what acts of service and devotion do you sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ? He certainly is worthy of the sacrifice of our whole hearts. Doesn't Paul say that we are to be living sacrifices unto God, which is our spiritual act of worship? Mary gave up what she was enabled to give up by God's grace and to do this for her Lord. It seems this really was God's will, wasn't it, that Jesus' body be anointed with this very precious oil before his burial. And this was Mary's call to do. By contrast, Martha did not do such a thing. And that's fine too. The gospel writers do not fault her in the least for not anointing Jesus' body as Mary did. And yet she and all of us are called to express our sincere love and gratitude to Jesus Christ as well. And in the process, I think we need to affirm that Mary was utterly humble here. She was completely humble before her Lord. The very act of what she did was almost like an act of humiliation. She had to stoop down to the floor and take her hair, it must have been long, and to take her hair and to swab, to towel dry, to remove that oil from Jesus feet we know slaves in those times were hired to do all kinds of household work one of the tasks of a slave was to at times wash the feet of his master when his master came in from a long journey or working in the field the slaves had to wash the feet of their masters 
and to towel their feet dry again. In a few days, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself would wash the feet of his disciples to teach them what true discipleship and servanthood would look like. An illustration of true servanthood uh, for God himself. And that was a demonstration that Christ too would lay down his life for the sheep. But here Mary becomes Jesus' humble servant. And she lavishes all her devotion on him by wiping this fragrant oil off his feet with her hair. Now some people, some commentators perhaps have suggested that this was maybe a bit unbecoming of Mary to do for a a woman to do to a man. Well, it seems she was not fanatical, nor was this unbecoming of her, but she showed how worthy, how worthy Jesus was of devotion and adoration like this. We need to make sure that our hearts are are not a bit cold or uncaring or indifferent to Jesus, but that we have true, warm-hearted devotion for him. We're not afraid to show our affection to the man, Jesus of Nazareth, even though he is not in our midst to still demonstrate in tangible ways, whether in private or in public, in the life of the church, our true devotion and our sincere love for the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To not have a cold or an uncaring attitude about him. You know, at times we can be filled with all the right doctrines and all the, all the means of God's sovereign grace and know our catechism well, and we ought to know our catechism, of course, but we ought not to simply look at the things we know as doctrine and biblical truth that we know as if it somehow is set apart on the side and Jesus is over here and our love for Christ is somehow perhaps not fully manifested because of course we are filled with these doctrinal truths which is so good but we can't forget the man himself upon whom all this doctrine is centered and grounded and whom it comes to its manifestation. The man himself, Jesus of Nazareth, Judas thought that Mary's actions were a waste of good money, and his disciples agreed with him. Matthew shows how all the disciples were indignant, not only Judas, but Judas comes to the foreground as their spokesman, and he says, uh, could not this money have been given to the poor instead? But John says that Judas said these things uh, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And because he took care of the money box, the treasury box that the disciples had, and he used to take from it, from, take out of it what was put into it. Judas cared a whole lot more about money than about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's kind of another aside here, isn't it? The true devotion of Mary, her sincere love, and Judas who really couldn't care less. Surprisingly, he had been in the service of our Lord for over three years. He'd preached the gospel, he'd healed the sick, but he had no care for Jesus at all. We might say, how is that possible? Well, it is possible because it happened. 
And it is, I guess, a warning to us as well. We can be in the service of the Lord, but how much truly do we love and desire Him even to expend our lives unto Him? Judas loved his money, but not the Lord. He, he did not think his, his master was at all worthy of such devotion. This is too much. This is going over the top. We can't be that crazy about our love for the Lord. Matthew tells us in the very next verse, after this piece of scripture, we read that he went out to betray him to the chief priests and the Pharisees. And uh, Jesus' words to Judas uh, are to the point. Uh, John 12, 7, Jesus said, Let her alone. Leave her be. She's kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Here we see the object of Mary's loving deed. She had kept this anointing for the day of his burial, Jesus tells us. She had this very costly oil of spikenard in her possession for a while already, it seems. We don't know how long. But Jesus says she's kept it, as if to say this was something she'd been planning to do, and she was waiting for the appropriate moment in which to anoint the body of Jesus with this very special, costly, fragrant oil, and now the time had come for her to do it. She had kept this, Jesus said, for my burial. And Jesus, she knew Jesus' burial, his death was was coming real close, coming real soon. And so we see congregation in the second place after Mary's act of costly devotion, how Jesus now interprets, Jesus interprets Mary's act of love. According to Matthew 26, verse 10, our Lord says this, but when Jesus was aware of it, hey, what the disciples were thinking and and being indignant about all of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. A good work. Jesus uh, sums it up. This was no showy act of, uh, of, uh, of her wealth, no exhibition of Mary's wealth here. This wasn't Mary's pride getting the better of, her, better of herself and now she was going to show to everybody not only her wealth but what she was going to do for the Lord. No, there was nothing inappropriate here. There was nothing unbecoming in her expression of love. No, Jesus said it is a good work that she has done for me. It came from a humble heart of devotion to Jesus. She done this out of true faith uh, uh, to God's glory and uh, in accordance with his will. Hence, it was a good work, Jesus says. And then he adds in verse 11 and 12, For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Mary knew that Jesus was soon to be put to death by the Jews. The disciples were hard-pressed to understand these things. They, did not, they were slow of heart to understand these things, but Mary was very perceptive. 
And she had a listening and a knowing heart. We know at various times, at least three times, Jesus already had told his disciples that soon he was going to be delivered up to the Jews, handed over to wicked men, he was going to be crucified, put to death, and he was going to be raised again on the third day. Mary, too, would have been privy to some of this information, would have known it. She certainly would have seen the hostility against Jesus that was only increasing, increasing, increasing. She knew Jesus' days were numbered, too. And so she knew she had but a short time to fulfill this God-given, heartfelt sense of calling to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. And Jesus interprets that as a good work that she had done for him. In, in, in certain ways, this anointing was to be for his burial. However, he again, he tells his disciples that he's going to be killed and be buried. And we could well ask, of course, for what reason, but there's only one that he would be the sin offering to atone for the sin of the world. And you're maybe scratching your head, do the disciples still not get it? We know at the very outset of Jesus' ministry in John 1 verse 29, how John the Baptist already had told everybody there, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That's exactly why Jesus Christ had come. And what were lambs for? Well, they were to be slaughtered, of course, and to be put on altars as sin offerings and burnt offerings for God's people. And, and Mary now had kept this precious ointment for that occasion when he would become that lamb to be sacrificed. It was very soon coming. Now we know also congregation from digging into the history of, the, of, the, of things in those days that it was somewhat of a practice in the Middle East in ancient times to anoint the bodies of loved ones with ointment or perfume after they died and before their burial. Mary, interestingly, wants to anoint Jesus' body before he dies and yet in view of his burial. And it was, seems to have been a symbolic act uh, expressing the hope of God's people of the resurrection. And here's the thing. As the awful smell of death eh, was very real, it could briefly be dispelled or minimized somewhat by this precious ointment, this fragrance. So it was an indication indicating that death would not have the final say either, but that after death, that sweet fragrance of life by God's grace would come upon God's people again. We think of Abraham long ago who also looked forward to that, to that heavenly city whose builder and maker is the Lord. Already Abraham was anticipating a resurrection unto a newness of life. The psalm writers also speak of, of God not leaving my, my body in Sheol, but, but raising it up as well. And so we have that aspect coming into play here, brothers and sisters. And indeed, was not Christ's death to be a sweet fragrance so satisfying to God in heaven? His death to be already something that would produce the fragrance of life to all who put their trust in him? Yes, indeed. 
We think of all those Old Testament sacrifices, all those countless thousands and thousands of lambs and bulls that had been slaughtered and put on the altar of burnt offering, done in true faith. Wasn't that fragrance always a pleasing aroma, a pleasing fragrance unto God, even when they were simply lambs and bulls or goats for sin offerings? If God was pleased with that aroma already, wasn't Christ's own death to be a most pleasing aroma? A true, a true manifestation of life that God would bring from out of death? Didn't the Apostle Paul write to the Corinthians saying that the gospel is an aroma of life unto life? He even called Christians in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, he calls Christians to be a fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved. Imagine that, you to be a fragrance, a a sweet-smelling appearance, aroma, an indication that you belong to Christ. And that fragrance that we have as Christians, spiritually speaking, guess what? It requires the death of Christ, doesn't it? His, his death and his burial for our sins. And so kind of putting these things together, together we see how Jesus interprets Mary, Mary's costly act of anointing Jesus as a good work because he says she has kept this day for my burial. His burial would already be anointed with something very special, something very fragrant and beautiful, an indication that something very, very good and sweet and pleasant was going to come from the work he had to fulfill. It's interesting how in John 12, verse 3, John tells us that the fragrance of that costly oil it filled the whole house. You might say that's a minor detail, but it filled the whole house. It was an overwhelming, sweet-smelling smell that went into every nook and cranny of their home and overwhelmed all the disciples, Judas included, a most fitting aroma that was pleasing to Christ and very fitting to, to himself communicating something of the sweet fragrance of life that would issue forth from his sacrificial death. Mary anointing Jesus, somewhat in effect like a consecration of his body already for his death, his death that he would undergo for your sake, for my sake. And so Jesus' congregation was rightly lavished, necessarily lavished with this costly, fragrant oil. Even in his death, there was a sense in which life was emanating from him too. We can't forget the fact that his divine nature, as the Catechism says, was no time absent from him even when he was dead even though he truly died as to his human flesh. Mary's act was one of love and honor, with reverence. But Jesus was so worthy of 
Didn't he even say to them in John 12 verse 8, he says, The poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Again, one of these rather interesting comments. The disciples had to understand how, 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 how wonderful it was for them yet to spend some time to be physically present with the Lord Jesus. He says, you will not have me with you always. Now you still do. Now you still have the opportunity to pay me your attention and your devotion and your love. Now you still have me with you as the very greatest need of your hearts. You do not always have me. I think it shows us how Jesus Christ is to be worth more to us than anything else or anybody else uh, for that matter. He even contrasts it with the poor. He says, you have the poor with you always. The church can always show mercy and, and care and help to the poor. That's very important. We ought not to neglect that, of course. But, but me, I'm something different. I'm something special. You do not always have me. You do not always have me with you. It shows how Jesus Christ is to have a very special place in our hearts. And with a very special love we have in our hearts for him. For you see, without Jesus Christ, what do you have? You might have lots of money. You might have this big business. You might have all these grandkids. You might have the whole world. But if you have the whole world and you lose your soul, what, what do you have? If you do not have me, our Lord says... Why then we'd only have what our sins deserve, eternal hell. And so then yet was the day for those disciples to have him and to see Mary in this very special way to anoint his body for his burial. Even, even Mary did not have much time left either. Even she did not have much time left to spend with her Lord but what time she did have, she was going to use to the best of her advantage for her good and, of course, for Christ's own glory. You brothers and sisters do not long have life to live either in this world anymore. But now you still have time in this life to manifest your love and your devotion to the Lord. You soon might be gone and have no longer time left in this world to glorify Him. And isn't that the essence of our whole calling in life to glorify our Lord God and Father while we have our being? Mary used that opportunity to her best and she anointed Him. Something of a teacher to us all. Brothers and sisters, now yet is the day that we may rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now is the day to express all our love to him in praise. And tomorrow you have another opportunity. And on Tuesday, another opportunity to manifest your love, your dear, sincere love to Jesus Christ through your prayers, through your quiet humming a tune, singing a song, teaching your kids, 
living to Christ's glory in his service, in his church, in faith, with hope, with love, in gratitude. Until we see him again, for surely that man we shall see, and we shall see him as he is. We will see him as Mary saw him, and Martha, and the twelve, in his glorified body to be sure. But we will see the man who died for us. And if we come to that point, and we look back and say how good it was to show our love to him now while we were yet in this life. We look forward to loving him perfectly when we see him again. Amen.